mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hello and welcome to Sentimental Garbage, a podcast celebrating chiclet and the so-called guilty pleasures you're sort of done feeling guilty about. My name is Caroline Donahue, and when I released my first novel this year, I found myself being asked the same two questions over and over again. One, did I think of my novel as chiclet? And two, was I offended if it were called that? Which is weird because all the best women I know are also devoted fans of chiclet, and this podcast is dedicated to examining what's good, great, and occasionally questionable about the genre. Today I'm joined by the author of the Sophia Khan is Not Obliged series and the forthcoming This Green and Pleasant Land, Aisha Malik. We're talking about Bridget Jones' Diary by Helen Fielding. Hi, Aisha. Hello and yay. <laughs> I love Bridget Jones. Oh, I'm so I like so I, excited. To I talk could about this. talk about her all day and all week and all year. And actually, that's why I wrote my first book because I was so obsessed with her. So when, where did your obsession begin? Um, I don't think I read the first one first, actually. I read The Edge of Reason first for some reason. Oh, that's I, weird. I can't remember why. Yeah. I remember I was going to New York for the first time and I needed a book to read. And I think I saw it in the airport or something. And I basically ignored New York and read the book. Do you remember <laughs> what year it was? It was. I was 18. Yeah. So it would have been the <laughs> 19. year... 19. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Um, it would have been the year 2000. Oh, wow. Yeah. A pre-9-11 read. Yes. <laughs> Maybe you should take it in New York a little more. <laughs> I know, right? I wasn't I wasn't a Scarfie back then, though, so I was okay. I was exempt. Oh, right. Yeah, well, it was fine. You got it the wrong way around, really. Yeah, I know. You should have had a scarf on then. Yes, and, then. and taken it off. I know. But I always do things the wrong way around. It's fine. <laughs> so before this conversation gets uh, more offensive, uh, well, I'm going to do a very quick plot summary of Bridget Jones. I'm sure most of you listening already know the plot backwards, but in the small chance you haven't, here we go. Anyway, Bridget Jones is a single 30-something who drinks like a fish, smokes like a chimney and dresses like her mother. She spends most of her time flirting with her chauvinistic boss, Daniel Cleaver, and avoiding being humiliated by the posh, churlish Mark Darcy, all while getting pissed with her friends Jude, Chaz and Tom. Also dodging Spanish Inquisition-style attacks from the various smug married people in her life. And that's basically the whole plot. It's woman, has a job, has two love interests, and there there you go. Yeah, and it it kind of sounds so basic, doesn't it? Yeah. But it's... Anyone who's read the book will know it's not basic. It's bloody brilliant satire, amazing characters, and this one central character who you will just inevitably fall in love with. Um, or some people hate her because... People, some people have like weird hang-ups about her because she, I don't know she's not intelligent enough or maybe she's just yeah, and she was really divisive mm, even then like this wasn't like marriage a, obsessed like yeah like I was doing a little bit of research and like this wasn't like a oh a slow kind of thing but like because they were, um, Helen Fielding was doing these columns already and then it got turned into a book that was yeah. a ready-made audience for Bridget yeah. and as soon as the book came out smash hit but also people being like Marmite right yeah I hate her Which, and I loved her right yeah I did but it's a weird thing because, like, there were so many women, like, millions of women who were like, this is the first time I've ever seen a woman in fiction who was like me, who was as insecure as me, yeah. who was as, like, concerned about, like, you know, 
can I have a boyfriend and still be a feminist and can I do this and can I do that and like am I practicing feng shui in my flat enough <laughs> and all these mad insecurities that she has but are nonetheless really real yeah but then so you've all these women who are relating to her but then at the same time there's all these women being like why is she such an idiot and yeah. then the women who love her are like yeah, Am I an idiot? Yeah. <laughs> well, probably yes, but that's okay. We're all idiots <laughs> We're to some so degree. Um, but also, that's the point of satire. That's the point of comedy. Like, yeah. you know, you, she doesn't have to be this amazingly intelligent person to be related. I can see yeah. where people are coming from, but also that that's kind of, I think that's the point of why Helen Fielding created her. She was just kind of a really stripped down version of perhaps every woman out there in terms of insecurities and you can be a high-flying career woman as well as have be obsessed with you know how you look and um, how much you weigh Um, and Bridget Jones was just kind of showing that stripped down insecurity. It's really interesting um, reading Bridget now because obviously we're in the, it's so boring to talk about, but we're in the post-social media (laughs) (laughs) climate where everyone is, um, even if they're doing this personality on Twitter or Instagram where they're like, oh, I'm just a mental slob. um, There's still a a showmanship to it. But when you write from a diary perspective, it's the struggle with it. I'd love to ask you more about this is um, creating somebody who really does think they are alone and really does think that no one's watching. Oh yeah, that's quite interesting. Um, um, how did you find writing Sophia Khan? Um, well, I actually, I kind of, um, I guess I um, ended up merging both because it's in diary form. I mean, it's such a Bridget Jones ripoff in the sense that it was my first book, so I was like, you know what, I'm going to be played really safe with this, and I'm just going mm-hmm. to openly kind of admit that this is a Muslim version of Bridget Jones because I love Bridget Jones but also um, Sophia Khan doesn't drink like a chimney no drink <laughs> that would be Dreams weird like a drink fish. like a fish she does smoke like a she chimney does. she doesn't dress like her mother and um, she's Muslim so she doesn't have any of the sex um, yeah, which, are, which is good to pepper the plot it's good to sort of keep, yeah, keep yeah. the plot moving will, with getting will drunk she have sex, sex or will she not yeah. um, but no um, so what she ends up doing is she ends up having to write a book about Muslim dating in the book mm. so it becomes kind of meta like that and what that involves is um, social media so it kind of ends up integrating the two by using the book to um, broach that um, divide between being a diary format which is very lonely and being more kind of yeah because she keeps um, a blog doesn't she yeah she keeps a blog which isn't actually integral to the book and it's kind of just introduced as a way for to show her popularity online but yeah I think it's kind of important in order to keep it up to date because not having that element wouldn't have really not having any social media element wouldn't have rung true to the character my first novel I also had this um, struggle of like um, I really resent I don't resent is probably the wrong word. Maybe it is. <laughs> um, when novelists, they don't acknowledge the real world around them. So like when like people don't go to the toilet or they don't use the internet yes. or check their emails on the toilet. Or they don't eat like a jar of Nutella on their own in yeah. front of the television. That was sad, wasn't it? <laughs> Me admitting that. But yeah, no, it's true, yeah. Or when um, female characters don't eat anything but salads, that really pisses me off. Yeah. Or books. no, or even when female characters um are so stressed they can't eat. It's yeah, like that's, have you ever experienced stress? <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't happen. What was your relationship? Because I I read the book. Um, I think because I have an older sister. I'm sure you, you do as well. Yes, I do. Um, yeah. she brought the book into the house when she was like eighteen, and I was like 
eight, I think. Mm. And I remember like flicking through it because her and my mum were talking about it so much. And then I gradually um, read it when I was about 13. Okay. And then I read it like every five years since then. Yeah. On and off. I kind of come across it when I'm yeah. moving house and I end up sitting on the floor in the boxes just like it's reading. It, it's just like, it's chicken soup for the soul, isn't it? It it's really like, is. It's like Harry Potter. You just read it for comfort and just... It completely is yeah. Harry Potter in the yeah. sense that you just feel like you can just step back into Bridget's London. Exactly. Yeah. Which I wish, I kind of wish I lived in British London. Yeah, I live too. in this London, <laughs> which sucks. What are you going to do? You can't have it all. Yeah. What I really like about Bridget's diary and the, how it, they use the diary format in general, they, Helen, um, Helen Fielding, is that um, she never has two good or two bad days in a row. Like, right, it's yeah. always like, great day, I had loads of sex with Daniel Cleaver. And the next day, he hasn't called. Yeah, and the next yeah. day, he talked to me again. And the next day, he hasn't. And it's like and this. It's not even, it's not even the, the daily thing. It's the tiny thing. I felt like the the fact that it's 8.01 and then it's 8.05 yeah. and the difference between 8.01 and 8.05, whatever might happen. It was just, it just chimed so much with our everyday life. Um, having a croissant a cafe and then running into your boss. Yeah. And like seven minutes later. And that kind of familiarity, the madness of London life. Um, and merging love and career and that madness comes together in that format and if it wasn't in that format I don't feel like it would have been as successful it's great. You, you kind of have to like suspend your disbelief and be, because like obviously yeah. anyone who really keeps a diary doesn't be like no, oh exactly. la 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 I am completely on time oh no now I'm very yeah. late unless <laughs> you're Adrian Mole who tries to replicate that in one of his books does he? yeah it's re- which one was it? I can't remember which book it is I'm rereading Adrian Mole which is why it's I'm also mind. rereading Adrian Mole oh. I'm on 13 and 3 quarters right now oh I'm on the prostrate years oh I, I, I kind of left him at about 25 I think okay. I don't want him to get any older than that and there's um there's I can't remember which book it is, but he does allude to Bridget Jones coming in the scene and him saying something about her character writing a diary and then he's writing a diary, except she's writing it more successfully than he is. <laughs> <laughs> he tries to emulate her. It's very funny. Oh, my God. I had, yeah. now, I know, now I do want to read that. So I, I assume that you, you read this in 2000, that you come back to it every few years the yes, way lots yeah, of yeah, people yeah. do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, every time I come back to it, I feel like I get something new from it. Mm. Like when I was... I think when I was a teenager, I, I took everything she said at face value at like, oh, Mark Darcy really must think she's terrible and so she really must be as fat as she says she is. Yeah. And then as you become more worldwise, you, you realise that, that 8 Stone 13 is a very thin woman. Oh my God, so thin. <laughs> so thin. I'd kill to be that thin. Um, maybe I shouldn't say that. No, but um, I'm going to tell our listeners right now, I am at 10 Stone 11. I am 10 um, Stone 11 and reading this book has made I, me have an eating disorder. <laughs> I am not going to give away my weight. I thought we were um, doing a thing. I thought no, we were, we're not be doing like... a thing because Caroline is about five inches taller than me. So that, that stretches, it, stretches it out a bit um, we also have very heavy boobs we do yeah <laughs> <laughs> thank god this is a podcast <laughs> otherwise that'd be really weird you look like a fellow heavy boober oh, yeah yeah I am. I mean I could show you now but that would really be weird um, no, no but she um, yeah no you and you realise actually that she is her own worst enemy and that the lens through which she sees herself is completely distorted. And you're right. And actually, it's you don't get that when you read it as such a young person. And as you get older, you think, actually, this this woman is mad. She's got body dysmorphia. Yeah. And um, her hang-ups 
have no kind of placing in reality. It doesn't doesn't make any sense. But then that's just um, that's being just alive be, as a woman. Being alive as a woman, isn't yeah. it? Like we all have insecurities that make absolutely no sense to other people. Maybe they do. They just don't say it to your face. I, I think that's why I, f- I find um, satire at the moment is in a really weird place because I feel like everybody wants to represent women as being like these kick-ass, badass feminists. But this, that's a lot. Of, that's a lot of pressure, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? I want a funny woman who's also like a kick-ass feminist. Yeah, it's like it's, yeah, without any kind of hang-ups. And actually, one of the things that I was criticised about in my book is the fat phobia, and mm-hmm. um, the fact that Sophia Khan is obsessed with her weight. Um, and I was like, but this is what writing is. You're writing about a character and her yeah. hang-ups, and that I feel is really true to life. In retrospect, would I like her to have been a bit more kind of aware about the kind of message she was putting across? Yeah, probably. But at the same time, um, if you're not going to address women's insecurities in books, then you're basically creating characters that aren't flawed and therefore not very fun to read or interesting to read because they're not relatable. What I really love as well is that throughout the book, she references Susan Faludi's backlash, but she's never read it. <laughs> and it kind of has this weird... So on point, isn't it? It's so on point. Because like, what's, what's the most recent um, important book that you haven't read? Um, everyone keeps on going on about Susan Sontag. And I feel like I've read her just because I hear about her so yeah. much. And I haven't read anything of hers, but I see her everywhere. Right. I know that's... I still haven't read Rachel Kosk yet because the cover of that new book looks weird. It looks like the inside of a vagina. I I know it's a shell. It's the eye of Mordor. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, no. I like to think that I've read things that are really important and pretend I have just because it feels like I have because people bang on about it so much. But that's completely Bridget's life. Yeah. Is and I like and speaking of like um, coming back every few years and getting something new out of it. I think the last time I read this book before the most recent time, which was yesterday, um, I think I was twenty three and I hadn't. I was kind of knocking on the outside of yeah. Bridget's world in that I knew people who worked in books, but I, I, I still worked like in recruitment. I think in like this really like boring dead end job. And even the jobs Bridget deigned to do, I would have loved to have done, like yeah. researching for a TV show or working yes. at a publicist office. Yeah. Um, at this big publishers and now coming back out the side of it as someone who's almost 30 and who has worked in these industries you know has put out a book and therefore has worked with books book people and the people who surround those industries I see it as something else now of course you know and the incredible snobbery that she pushes up against yes yeah like that party scene where she for Kafka's motorbike which (laughs) I love oi (laughs) oi Sorry, the mic's not working. I love that scene so much. <laughs> it's so brilliant. Oh, I'm having, I love I'm how having we never, a moment. We never like find out moment. what Kafka's motorbike <laughs> is about. That's the point, I, I know, guess. I love yeah. it. <laughs> and it's so good in the film, but it's so good in the book as well because like um it's completely a conversation I've definitely overheard or been a part of, yes. um, of like the, all these people like Perpetua and all her posh friends who've been to Cambridge. And this is also something I forgot is that basically everyone she works with, like and Daniel Cleaver and Mark Darcy, they're Oxbridge, all yeah. Oxbridge. Yeah. And she feels completely outside, outside herself. And she mm. went to Bangor. <laughs> I don't even know where that is. Uh, and like how um, how small she's made feel all the time yeah. and I just related to that's that so, so much relatable. that's so relatable isn't it yeah. you've worked in publishing um, yeah, I, I mean I worked in publicity for two years and part of that appeal was also because I'm like 
I'm basically Bridget Jones. Yeah. <laughs> with a scarf. I'm in publicity. And every time I'd pick up the phone, I'd be like, hello, publicity. And I did actually once meet Salman Rushdie. Did you? I did. He was lovely. But I really wanted to say to him, do you know where the loos are? <laughs> I didn't because I probably would have And got yours, fired. Mr. Archer, are quite good. <laughs> Two. <laughs> yours aren't bad either. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, the st- some of the stuff that I heard, oh, one of my colleagues, um, she was brown as well. She was mm-hmm. Sri Lankan. And she once went to a party and an author came up to her and said, oh, you're quite exotic, aren't you, for Chateau? <laughs> and she was like... Okay, oh. and oh dear. I remember being like I remember um, doing some publicity PR. I was a really bad publicist, by the way. Sorry, I'm Christian. Sure you were a fabulous I'm publicist. sorry, Christian, if you're listening to this, it's my boss. Um, I had some phone conversations with him, and I ended up mentioning that um, I was fasting because it was Ramadan, and he was like, "Oh, right, okay." And then he called maybe a couple of days later. Got got through to my. Um, colleague my boss and um, he said yeah I need to speak to that Muslim girl (laughs) (laughs) at least he remembered you (laughs) and she looked over at me and she's like what the fuck (laughs) Um, so yeah those were those were very kind of Muslim Bridget moments I like to call them very Bridget but very specific to being Muslim as well (laughs) which is why I wrote Sophia Khan have I plugged my book enough do you think no I think we can hear another time Uh, yeah Yeah. (laughs) that's why I wrote Sophia Khan well, I love that because like, obviously that experience that you just mentioned is like that Bridget of 1994 or whenever this was written probably wouldn't even know what Ramadan is or whatever. Aww, Bridget. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? She'd try really hard to understand yeah. but otherwise Aww. she'd be like, what? Like, so no chocolate? Ooh, no chocolate. Yeah. No water. cash cards. <laughs> Um, but what's what's sort of universal about it is anyone who's ever made to feel like they don't belong in yeah, a situation absolutely. can relate to Bridget. Absolutely, which is part of her appeal and which is why I get really annoyed when people kind of belittle the yeah. book for being not important in a way just because it appealed to so many people and I love Bridget. And it's kind of similar to um, how people talk about and feel about Sex in the City. Yes. Because you and I are both big fans of Sex and the City. Yes. I, I think it's weird that like um, when people talk about like Bridget Jones or Sex and the City or any any of that kind of like whole culture of like... Female-centric. Yeah. Sisters, solidarity. Yeah, women feminist. in cities generally in the yeah. mid to late 90s, yeah. that kind of stuff. They always focus on like, oh, well... And there are negativities, the way that like those shows, you know, maybe treated gay people or people of colour or maybe just didn't include those people at all. Or maybe like Sex and City got really materialistic. And actually, like sometimes reading Bridget Jones, and I hate to criticise it, or Sex and the City, but you do think their focus on men and dating actually is very much in the past. Um, And that's the one aspect that I feel like is kind of anti-feminist because their focus is so based on men and how to get a date and how to get married that it's it doesn't feel fresh anymore as a result that's of that. So, that's very true. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I always feel maybe maybe I only feel this way because I often because I'm in a long term monogamous relationship. Yeah. I feel like that nobody ever talks about like struggles within relationships yeah. because those things are always set up to be like, oh, they're going out with someone for like two dates and then there's something wrong with them and then they go. And then yeah. that man is never seen again. Yeah. Um, and that's why I wrote the sequel to Sophia Khan. <laughs> which I book. haven't read. Um, yeah, it. it's, yeah, I kind of wrote, I wrote it in very much uh, a bit of a, a blur, really. So I don't, 
don't remember much of my own novel, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you just it's told a great me that. plug there. Yeah. Um, First time I met you, um, I told you I was working on my second novel, and you were like, "Oh, don't worry, you won't remember it." <laughs> Basically, don't, so. don't worry too much about it. It's <laughs> just just focus on the third novel once the second one's out of the way. Yeah, yeah. That's the real winner. Mm. That's that Man Booker Prize short. Oh yeah, one. definitely. <laughs> So when people talk about like Sex and City, Bridget Jones, even like girls to an extent, they always emphasize on the negative things and mm-hmm. how like, oh, it's always like how expensive their things are and all this, all this long list of complaints that you could have about any TV show or book. Yeah. And they always seem to miss the thing is that like, you know, people saw themselves in this, yeah. you know. And, you know, TV is aspirational. Books are aspirational to a certain extent. So yeah. you kind of need that in a sense just because it's looking it's reflecting your own life and it's kind of showing you a possibility for yourself yeah. if that's what you if that's what you want you know for me the the aspirational stuff in Bridget Jones is definitely the frame group yes and I, lo- I love like even now I, I feel like I've got a really great group of friends yeah. but um, but that- basically they're not good enough <laughs> is what she's saying <laughs> Caroline's friends <laughs> no, but the idea that they were like um, you know Bridget could have a really tough day and just like Shazza and Jude and Tom would just assemble and they all get pissed and then at 2am she'd be like bloody great night (laughs) but in reality it takes you about four and a half weeks to get a day in the diary with all your friends in London because someone's out of the country or someone's too busy at work or I mean the reason we keep doing podcasts together is is because it's the only way we can seem to hang out basically (laughs) (laughs) so yeah it's kind of yeah it was a bit unrealistic wasn't it yeah, I, but I, I but loved I love that, that though. because then, yeah, because you still do have the great friends. Yeah. It's just you know, it's not as easy as that. But um, that's part of what made it so heartwarming. And there's nothing wrong with heartwarming, by the way. Absolutely nothing wrong. And like, I really I love heartwarming. I, 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 I love heartwarming. I really do. <laughs> I really, really don't like it when people don't like heartwarming. And I also really like when stakes are relatively small. Why not? You know? You know? Exactly. Like, I, I kind of, I sort of vaguely resent the, um, and, I, and I really like both these authors, yeah. um, like the kind of Jojo Moyes and yeah. Gillian Flynn, where someone either has to be dying or already be dead in, yeah. <laughs> in order for us to have to care. It's yeah. like, why can't the stake be that you really fancy someone and you wish they'd kiss you? Don't, don't you think that's just because it's publishing? Because yeah. you have to have, like, some kind of... Um, unique selling point it has to have a hook yeah and um if will they won't they kiss it's just not a big enough hook i guess unfortunately i think it's a big enough hook if you're writing a book that's specifically aimed at a commercial women's yeah, fiction that's true. yeah like yeah. if there's a picture of like a like a picnic blanket and a flower on the cover or like a woman's shoe and a heel you know <laughs> yeah um, but anything outside that genre it's like oh well who cares you know well why that's not, true you know? yeah and then there's like that other genre of Maybe there like, should be like a literary fiction book about will they, won't they kiss? Would that even work? Well, I haven't Could read Normal work? People yet, but apparently that's what Normal People is by Sally oh, Rooney. Oh, yes. I haven't no, picked I've, it up yet, but... Oh, that, well, that might be interesting. Yeah. Maybe we can do like a two-person book group, read that, and then discuss. <laughs> yeah, we must be the only two people who are reading that book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. No one else is reading it, obviously. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com I want to talk about smoking. Oh, yeah. I love writing characters who smoke. Me too. It's so great. It's so cathartic. <laughs> and I'm never going to write a character who vapes, I don't think. But you could kind of do it ironically, couldn't you? I suppose, yeah, but if you were really trying to say something about that character. Yeah, you know yeah, mean? exactly. Oh, actually, I wrote a character in my third book, Who Vapes, who's just given up. But he's a very minor character. Yeah. I've read your third book. Yeah, um, his cousin, Vasim. Oh, yes. yes he's, oh, he's I like vaping. him. He's yeah. got a van and he vapes. Yeah. yeah. That's all you need to and know. And he sells dodgy stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but when, I, when I'm reading Bridget Jones, it's um, very apparent because, like, I suppose when you read it back at, now that you've, like, written a novel or two, yeah. you know why, why people smoke so much novels because, like, it breaks up the action in a really nice way. That's true, yeah. Because you don't end up with, like, I said, he said, I said, he said. Yeah. It's like, I said, you know, reaching across for a cigarette and lighting yeah, yeah. it, flicking my ash. There's so many things you can do with a cigarette that yeah. livens up dialogue. That's so true. That's a very professional way of putting it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it says a lot about the character. Sophia can smoke a yeah, lot. Yeah, she smokes a lot because I felt like she is a character who I wanted to be universal despite the fact that she's a scarfy. She wears a hijab. Mm-hmm. Um, she doesn't drink. She um, doesn't have sex. And I was like, you've got to, you've got you have to give, give her some vices. Yeah, you have to give her some vices because praying is just not going to cut it. To <laughs> I be love to pray. <laughs> I love to pray. I know. I mean, what a dickhead she would sound like otherwise. <laughs> um, so yeah, she does smoke a lot, and I just felt like it was also just very true to the character. Yeah, and it was funny because there were lots of things that I could do with her trying to hide her cigarettes from her parents and especially her dad who also smokes. Um, but it's different when a woman smokes. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. Obviously, Caroline. It's common. Oh no, it's you're disgusting. A, you're a woman of the street. Yeah, basically. <laughs> you shouldn't be allowed to wear hijab. You shouldn't be allowed to do anything. Um, so yeah, I thought it, it added a layer of complexity to her. Um, and because there aren't many Muslim characters in books, I thought I would create a character who um, who's kind of subverts expectations. Yeah. So yeah, it was important for her to smoke. We talk about this a lot off air of like, um, because you're a Muslim Pakistani writer, because I'm an Irish writer. Are you going to use the R word? What's the R word? Representation. Representation. Hello. Well, nobody nobody thinks that like inviting me onto a panel is representation because they're just like, it's a white blonde lady. Oh, bad luck. And then afterwards, if they're really scrabbling around, they're like, oh, but you know, (laughs) we got flack on Twitter, but Caroline's Irish. Everyone (laughs) should invite you on panels. You're great. I really enjoy them. I think I'm the only writer alive who just says yes to all of them because I love getting out of the house. Um, But like we've talked a lot about how like people want like a certain thing from a Muslim writer. And I also found that they want certain things from Irish writers as well. Yeah. I know what they expect of me. They expect some kind of a book that deals with something really serious. Yeah. Um, some kind of subjugation going on, some kind of op- oppression, maybe yeah. an honour killing or two. 
you know, that's that's the vibe. Let's spice things up. That's the kind of vibe you get from people who are who think about a Muslim character, and it's about framing narratives around the bloody headscarf. Oh my god! Yeah. I never want to talk about the headscarf ever again. It's so boring. It's so boring. Um, but that's what's kind of expected, and because it's kind of in vogue right everyone wants like everyone's talking about the burqa and the veil and and you just kind of get a bit bored of it you just don't want to talk about you just don't want to talk about that you want to talk about Bridget Jones yeah well, the weird thing with with Sophia Khan is that what was subversive about it was that it was so traditional oh yeah do you know what I mean a, yeah, yeah 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 like that yeah. you took this like just as ordinary London girl who also happens to be Muslim and is just sort of like dealing with dating life and and what we talked about before, which is like quite small stakes of like just finding someone to love, yeah. which which actually is the biggest stake you could possibly have yes. for most people in their lives. Most people aren't finding out why, who murdered someone from a train. Why? Yeah. Why can't women look for love in literature? Like in a way that's not twee. Yeah. Why is that like, I feel like you can't be a feminist unless you're kind of anti all the the tropes that we have to deal with um, yeah. so that looking for something as simple as looking for love is kind of anti-feminist but it shouldn't be yeah. why does it have to be a bad thing or or the male lead has to be the sort of a perfect kind of wokey feminist man yeah. who always says the right thing yeah you know? yeah and that's what I yeah I did I did like writing Sophia Khan for the reason that it's a rom-com right it's mm. totally a rom-com um even though so much of it is about looking for love. Actually, it's about many other things. Um, and what I loved about a lot of reviewers was that they recognised it as a kind of feminist narrative, um, oh, even, so though it's, even though it's a love story as well, yeah. because it's a love story um, not just about um, meeting a partner, but also a love story um, for friendships and a love story for families and um, between sisters. So it's a, a kind of universal love story, not just focusing on finding... You're you another. say you're a bad publicist. Your publicist is really happy with you oh, right I know, now. Right? Well, I'm a so, very good publicist for my book. Yeah, clearly. somewhere in London, a publicist is just like glowing. I'm like, what's happening? <laughs> it's other people's books that I can't be asked about. That's not true. That's suck. not true. Most books by other people, not in this room, are bad. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, well, it's interesting that you say that, like, so, like a, a deceptively simple narrative about like a character looking for love can actually have a load of nuance yeah. and be the carrier I, for so I, many other things. Yeah, I love being able to write about serious issues in a really light-hearted way. Yeah. Because I just think that life is nuance. Um, not everything is black and white. Yeah. And if you're going to be a writer, then it's not about having an agenda about, you know, making people see things a certain way. It's about throwing out questions, making the reader think about those questions and think about how they would answer that. It's not about telling people what's what um no i agree with you and like the nicest thing that any one of the nice things anyone's ever said to me about about my book was that like uh it feels like you went in with questions and came out with more oh which is which is wonderful right? which is exactly what you want right like yeah, you want to like well i went in and it was complicated and now it's more complicated and that's and that's the sense you get from bridget as well yeah. is that she never quite I mean, she does get together with Mark Darcy yes. in the end, but she always has that thing where she's um she's never truly herself around anyone, no, you know. No. And and Mark does really like her for who exactly who she is, yes, yeah. but mainly because he's so sick of the his entire class, yeah. right? Yeah. Or, like every time you meet Mark, he's being like primped by a woman he hates, mm. and he's just blinking a lot. Have you noticed how much Mark yes. Darcy blinks? Blink. <laughs> 
Poor Mark. He's almost, she's almost too good for him, isn't she? Just because he is the kind of ideal, and I'm using um, air quotes here, mm-hmm. he's kind of seen as the ideal man. But actually, she's so mad and so wonderful yeah. that he's almost too safe for her. Yeah, and, and it is, I think because when you're reading it, you, um, she kind of is so hard on herself and she has so many crappy experiences with mm. men and with the people in her life. And then when like uh, Mark just shows up being kind of quietly earnest, you're like, oh, lovely. Aww. But like, looking at it objectively, like what is Mark Darcy? He's wealthy and yeah. quiet. And yeah, <laughs> like how is that going to be fun long term? Yeah, like if 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 Helen Fielding hadn't, I'm, this is a major spoiler, by the way. Um, hadn't killed him off in the third book. I haven't read it. I haven't it read it either. Oh, right. No because, interest, really. No, which is really weird because I'm obsessed with Bridget Jones. I love it. Yeah. But I didn't want to because I almost felt like killing him off was kind of it, it kind of takes away from everything that could have been explored um, in a so-called happily ever after. Yeah, which situation. goes back to what we were saying earlier in that, like, I I feel like almost nothing ever deals with the long term. Yeah sort of story of yeah. of being with someone yeah. and, and trying to love them year after year. Yeah. Not that I have any problems with that. <laughs> my boyfriend, if you're listening. <laughs> um, yeah, no, absolutely. And why in my in my second book, I was like, actually, yeah, I'm going to write about marriage because I have so much experience in it, um, having you never have been married. You have many husbands. I have many husbands. Um, no, that's the wrong way around. It's the men who are allowed to have many wives oh. in Islam. I thought you just reinvented no, sorry. the whole thing. Not, not, not yet. Okay. Um, you're working on it. I'm working on it. <laughs> Working on it slowly but surely. Um, as long as they all have the same amount of money that you give them, it's fine, right? Oh yeah, obviously. <laughs> you all give them their pocket money every week. Quality matters. <laughs> um, so yeah, with the second book, I was very keen to explore uh, marriage and um, spoiler alert and the breakdown of a marriage as well. Mm-hmm. Um, for the very reason that you said that no one actually looks. Very, you don't really look at happily ever after, do you? Um, although um, David Nichols' book Us is an amazing book on a kind of on a marriage between two people after. 50, David Nichols is one, one day. day. Yeah. Oh my god! And it's just it is beautiful. It's such a great book. I highly recommend it. It's funny that you bring up David Nichols because the other day I was interviewing for this podcast um, Ava Rice, who wrote The Lost Art of Keeping Secrets. Oh, okay. Um, and. She was very frank about how chiclet is packaged. And yes. she said I, yes. David Nichols would not have gotten that cover for one day if that, he had been a woman. woman. Yeah, and I actually, I've said that at panels before. Yeah. Um, and I, I loved One Day. I really loved it. It was a nice book, yeah. It was a, a great really nice book. book. Um, but absolutely, if if he was a woman, it would have been packaged in a completely different way. Um, the journalist at Nemsangere, guy who wrote Boy With The Top Knot, he also wrote a book called Marriage Material, and um, if he was a woman, it would have been packaged in a completely different way. Mm. Marriage material, yeah, like that it's, that has like chiclet written. It would have like a woman's over, hand yeah. on the it thing. Would, it has chiclet written all over that title. Big engagement ring, absolutely. Big like cartoon diamond. Yeah. yeah. So so much of um, how a book is packaged is about your gender, and um, that feels slightly kind of unfair. It kind of takes away from how important these so-called, I hate the term chiclet, mm. can't, I can't stand it. I don't mind it personally. See, I, don't, no. I can't stand it. You've been cringing in my intro. Because it's, because it's kind of derogatory to, the, because the implication is that it's not important. When you say mm. chiclet, the implication is that it's kind of 
too fluffy or not important or just not good enough. But so many of the books that appear to be chick lit or women's commercial like Bridget Jones, um, like Marion Key's books, like um, like Jane Austen, mm. they deal with so many relevant, important issues. Yeah. And to call them chiclet to call any book chiclet I just really wish we could just do away with that term for See, all books I personally don't mind it I only think that like um people have assigned that I think I feel like we can reclaim it basically yes, I feel like we can take it back different. and I think that that's what I'm trying to do with the podcast is, so, so I'm the wrong guest to have invited <laughs> you come into my house <laughs> you insult my word um, no but I totally know what you mean but I think um, because you Reclaiming are claiming it would be nice I, making I, 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 it into a positive term would be really yeah, really lovely I like chicks I like lits <laughs> um, yeah it would be nice to reclaim it so that people didn't kind of weren't snooty about it yeah and it's just, that's what I don't like just the snootiness I think there's there's no getting around the fact that these are books that are marketed to like a mass female audience yeah. and, and that's the reason why they're, the love stories are charming yeah. and the you know the pratfalls are funny and the descriptions of clothes are very interesting yeah <laughs> like, there's a reason for that because that's what women like reading about mm-hmm. but I think and I think you know calling a chicklet is a fine shorthand for that and rather than saying commercial women's fiction every time and but yeah, even but women's women's commercial fiction what the hell is that I, I, do, I hate that love term. stories I, clothes I like, and I, it's just, falling I, over I, I, I realise it's all marketing but it just re- it really yeah. annoys me even women's commercial what does that mean that a woman wrote it and it's for the main women. character is a woman like, and it's it just really irks me probably because like we were saying earlier that books like One Day or Marriage Material mm-hmm. would um, if or they even Nick Hornby as well who exactly. like who men was, aren't reading Nick Hornby women read Nick Hornby to learn about oh men oh god Nick Hornby I love I his love book. him I he's wonderful but High Fidelity has a, has a coolness attached actually, to it even I, though it's a rom-com yeah, you I know? actually haven't read High Fidelity what have I oh, read some of my favourite books oh really yeah. I must read it um, but he generally is um, great writer yeah. and um yeah, I think my annoyance comes in the fact that there, there seems to be this kind of unfair attachment to um, how women get published and how men get published. Mm-hmm. Um, and my bugbear is that when these great books get published by men, they're marketed in a certain way, whereas when these great... Um, they're marketed in a way that are crossover, right? Mm-hmm. Women and men read it. Mm-hmm. Whereas when women write great books of similar ilk... Yeah, um, they it takes don't have so that much for men to read them because I've, I mean, I've and I've had such great feedback by male readers for Sophia Khan of all books because mm. because um, you know the cover and what it's about and it's um, it's a rom com it's essentially chick lit but it's you know I've had men say that oh um, I'm not going to read this on the tube because of the cover I've had that also yeah so and your cover is actually it's got a rose on it yeah oh, it's such yeah. a beautiful cover oh, I love you. it it's gorgeous but it doesn't scream chiclet and mm. it doesn't scream women's commercial yeah so it, there's still a bit of a kind of scope for a crossover there yeah even though I know what you mean because there is a rose and it is yellow and kind yeah. of pink as well isn't it it's it's weird though because it's like almost like the um, Chicklet, we'll put that in a word commas, that gets taken either seriously by the sort of literary fiction brigade or, or whatever. I love that you call them the brigade. They're, they're yeah. a brigade. And I, I, I absolutely love literary fiction as well. No, so, as yeah. do I. But, um, but I think that you, it only gets um, picked up by that sort of circle once it's like, oh, it's Chicklet with a twist, you know, yeah, or uh, yeah. whatever. And also, 
what's interesting with the with literary fiction as well like I read this year um, Rachel Kushner's The Mars Room okay which is set in a women's prison and yeah. is like a brilliant one of the best books I read this year and totally deserved to be on the Man Booker prize yeah. list and it's quite gritty and mm. it's quite violent but mm. the cover was like bright pink mm. with like a, a heart on it because right. yeah. but it was like if it had written by Jonathan Franzen it would have had the whole like this is important yeah. man writes about women's prison you yeah. know yeah. Um, so it goes both ways mm. like it, at every level of, of book there is like that weird gendered skew yeah and I guess that's just the way marketing works yeah There's not much you can do about that I suppose yeah so I'm sure you'll agree with me because we've referenced it a few times that the film is one of the most brilliantly adapted books of all time and also the perfect film. Yeah, absolutely. It really is the perfect film. Um, I can't think of any adaptation that's as good as that, apart from Lord of the Rings, randomly, which I loved. That's sure. a, probably another podcast. Um, <laughs> little known film. Little known <laughs> but, indie yeah. New Zealand film. Yeah, the Rennie Zelga was just just perfect for that but I, I kind of I haven't watched Bridget Jones for a really long time now um, partly because I now um, refuse to watch anything in which I am older than the characters in the film because oh, it's just you're going to run out of films man <laughs> I know dude I know I, there's always something's got to give about um, two people you in the 60s that film yeah I really really love something's got to give it's bloody amazing you're a great publicist for your books and the 2004 <laughs> film something's got to give You've, have you watched it no I still haven't have I did yes, I mention it you to have. you did I yeah. oh god I'm obsessed with that even realising oh, yeah. it's so good though I so will wonderful. watch it actually my boyfriend's away this weekend so I'm going to mainline rom-coms and that's going to be one of them that, and the family yeah. stone is great as well I love the family stone <gasps> I love the family stone so uncomfortable and so brilliantly done SJP yeah, she's is wonderful in it. Amazing. Yeah. She I I think one day SJP will be regarded the way Meryl Streep is regarded now. Like she'll eventually start No, I I honestly believe she's as good. Okay. You know what? Let's have a podcast in like 20 years time and revisit this conversation, shall we? But she is she is brilliant in the family stone and I think that's also a really perfect film um that shows that Romantic comedies can, can just deal with a host of issues. Host of issues can be funny and heartwarming and talk about really difficult things. Yeah, um, that scene where she's like, "Why would you want your son to be gay?" Yeah, oh my and god, it's the most complicated, <laughs> strange, horrible. But you kind of see where she's coming from. Yes. She's a monster, and you're she's, like, oh. "Oh, it's just so perfectly done." I, th- I think that the film does sort of like pile in the issues a bit though it's like yeah. oh our son is gay and also he's deaf yeah. <laughs> and also his partner is black, black yeah. <laughs> um, can we talk about Chicklet and not address Nora Ephron oh yeah like she's she's another author who kind of I, you know. she's got a weird status doesn't she yeah. um, in that she is one of those writers who is universally respected, universally yes, yeah. adored yeah. by people. People who rejoice will love Nora Ephron, and people who read like one book a year and it's from Asda yeah. will read Nora Ephron. Yeah, like Heartburn so is the oh, crossover it's, thing. It's you know? just so brilliant. I don't know why I brought I brought her up just because because I she love her she and sort of but she proved over and over again that you can like make charming, likable, lovable f- films and art with nice people who you want to spend time with, and also talk about like you know gentrification and you've got mail or more like yes Um, that's exactly what I was going to say word for word yeah Thanks. Um, well, Aisha, we've I've got to wrap up now, but I've loved this conversation so much. Do you have anything to plug? I think you do. Um, yes, I have a new book coming out mm-hmm. in June 2019 called This Green and Pleasant Land. 
And um, I'm very excited about it because um, it's a bit different to what I've written before. Mm-hmm. And it's about a village, a quaint English village and a Muslim family in that village um, who the main character of which is suffering a bit of an identity crisis. And he is asked by his dying mother to build a mosque in the village and the mayhem that follows. I'm very excited about it. I feel very smug and lucky to have been one of the first readers of it. And I absolutely adored it. I think everyone who listens to this podcast will adore it too. Thank you. Because it's so, the characters are so lovable and the the world feels so relatable. Um, And okay, there isn't like a massive romance in it, but I think you fall in love with these characters in a huge way and people are going to love it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Aisha. This has been Sentimental Garbage and I've been Caroline O'Donoghue. You can follow me on Twitter at ZaraLine, that's C-Z-A-R-O-L-I-N-E, or email me by the podcast at ZaraLineO'Donoghue at gmail.com. We'll be back next week with a new episode of Sentimental Garbage where I chat to Ella Risbridger about Millie's Fling by Jill Mansell. Thanks to Harry Harris for the jingle, Gavin Day for the logo, and Acast for the recording space. This has been a Justice for Dumb Women podcast produced by Hannah Varrell. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com